Dr. Vodibakum is a cultural apologist and author, uh, the dean of the School of Divinity at African Christian University in Lusaka, Zambia. He has written several books. His most recent book is called Fault Lines, the Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. Now he has developed a curriculum for churches based on fault lines to help us navigate as Christians what social justice versus real justice really looks like. How do we deal with this divisive issue of ethnicity and partiality? So we're going to get into all of that and more today on this episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Dr. Bakum, thanks so much for joining us all the way from Zambia. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Always enjoy being with you. Yeah. So I know people have been on the edge of their seats since the last time we talked because, or the last time we were supposed to have an interview, because as we were talking, you um, had to go address an emergency in your family. Everything is okay. But I've gotten so many messages since then saying, Okay, but when are you doing the interview? When are you doing the conversation? Uh, because people, uh. <laughs> yeah, people love hearing from you. So let's talk about let's talk about first this new curriculum, the ten part video curriculum series, Fault Lines. Obviously, this is the same name as your book that came out. I think a couple years ago. Now, I think it came. Did it come out in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one? Yeah, the book actually came out in twenty twenty one. So it has been a couple of years. It's been a whirlwind. Yeah. But it has been a couple of years. And um, this curriculum is just kind of a follow up on that, you know, really a way for people who haven't been introduced to the book to be introduced to it, for people who are familiar with it to uh, either delve deeper into the material, to revisit the material or to introduce the material to others. And just give us a refresher. A lot of people in this audience have already read it and they know what it is. Um, some people haven't, though. They don't know. What are you talking about? Fault lines, social justice. Why is all of this so important? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the subtitle is the social justice movement and evangelicalism's looming catastrophe. And mm -hmm. um, the whole idea was that there was this divide. And there continues to be, to a lesser degree, this divide within evangelicalism over uh, the broader issues of social justice, the broader issues of the ideas of equity and racial justice and so on and so forth. Um, really, this sort of neo-Marxist idea um, of, of, of justice, if you will. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing in that is sort of laying out what's happening um, sort of uh, defining terms, identifying the players and the sides, um, and really trying to dissect uh, this movement in a way that helps people think about it biblically. And what I love about this curriculum is that you define so many terms that we hear all of the time very explicitly and specifically, like white privilege, whiteness, equality versus equity. Why was it important for you, both in the book and in this curriculum, to really distill and make explicit what these terms actually mean? A couple of reasons. One is that in many instances, Christians were talking past each other, mm. right? We'd be having a conversation and using terminology, but two people would be using it different ways. 
Uh, that So that was one reason. I wanted to help people get on the same page. Another reason is there are some people who intentionally use these terms because they are deceptive. They know exactly what they mean. They know exactly what they're after. And they know that Christians, for example, are all about uh, justice. Uh, Christians are all about equality and so on and so forth. And so they they use terms like racial justice and you know, other other terms like equity that, you know, sound innocent enough, but they're trying to communicate uh, a different ideology and at the end of the day, another gospel. So I wanted to sort of help people have these discussions, uh, both with folks who are honest, who just need to define terms, but also with people who are less than honest so that we can smoke them out. Yeah. You know, this is a really tough and I mean, as you explained through the title, divisive debate for Christians, even Christians who agree seemingly on most other issues, agree theologically in a lot of ways, agree on social issues. We agree on gender and abortion. And yet when it comes to this, I saw this in 2020, I still see it today with discussions around things like affirmative action or black history curriculum and things like that. Christians not being able to get on the same page when it comes to the issue of justice, when it comes to the issue of oppressor versus oppression. What is the legacy of slavery? How should we talk about slavery? How should we talk about ethnicity? Like, why is this the issue that drives not just like the world and Christians apart, not just so-called progressive Christians and theologically conservative Christians, but even those of us all in the same kind of theological camp, like this seems to be race, ethnicity, justice, all that seems to be the issue that just drives us apart. Why is that? I think it's because people know that it's a sensitive point for America and for Americans, right? It's part of our history that haunts us, unlike most people or unlike anybody else really in the world. It's interesting that slavery is, it's universal. Um, slavery existed in every culture known to man, right? What's unique about American slavery is, you know, the, the manner in which we ended it within one lifetime after our, our founding. Uh, but people know that because Americans are very sensitive about that history, um, it's a way to get in, right? It's a way to earn points. It's a way to get a hearing. And it's also a way to stop people in their tracks because of this sort of lingering guilt over the history of slavery. You can always just point at, at that and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, the, the the history of slavery, you're not being honest about slavery. You're, you're, you're trying to, you know, whitewash slavery. And um, Americans just they they don't want that to be the case. We're still very sensitive about it. Um, and so it's a way to score points. Yeah, I I think that that's the case. And then I think that there's also people who, especially, I, I mean, I see just a, like a lot of white Christian women who are 
sincere. They they think that by posting the black square or by talking or reading white fragility or doing the be the bridge curriculum, whatever it is, talking about racial reconciliation, that they truly are humbling themselves in a godly and Christ-like way, kind of like repenting for not just necessarily the sins of their ancestors, but internalized white supremacy, the sins of people who once lived in the same general geographic region as them who may have had a similar melanin count than them. They think they're doing the right thing by, you know, just talking about the stories in which a black person is killed by the police and not a white person. Um, But tell us, like, tell us why that's not actually godly humility that is going to lead to a place of unity within the body of Christ. Yeah, partly because it's not repentance. It's actually penance. You know, repentance is uh, is about my sin, Mm -hmm. right? Repentance is about me acknowledging sins that I have committed and sin as it's defined by God, not as it's defined by my culture. Sin that came from me, not sin that came from my ancestors. The other thing is, when you buy into this ideology, when you buy into this white fragility, be the bridge, you know, so on and so forth, anti-racist ideology, you buy into an ideology that is about doing the work of anti-racism. Mm. And that work of anti-racism is not repentance, it's penance. It's continually paying for sins that will never fully be atoned for. It's antithetical to the gospel, and it gets us nowhere in the end. Okay, time to tell you guys about Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth is truly the softest, most luxurious, and responsibly sourced bedding on the planet. It's naturally temperature regulating, which I love because I like to remain cool at night, and my Cozy Earth sheets make that possible. I really have a hard time sleeping now on any other kinds of sheets that are not my cozy earth sheets. I can tell a difference immediately. I love them so much because of how soft they are, but I also love their other products. I love their towels. I love all of their bedding. We just bought a new bedding set for our guest room because I love cozy earth so much. Also, I think this would make a great gift, like a towel set or a nice set of sheets from cozy earth. I mean, that's a gift that someone would use on a daily basis and really appreciate. Or like if you're just trying to revamp your house like we have over the past few months, you should really invest in some high quality stuff for your bed, for your bathroom. Get it all from Cozy Earth. It's so soft. I love it so much. Plus, if you use my code RELATABLE at CozyEarth.com slash Allie, then you get 35% off your order, which is an amazing deal. That's a huge discount. CozyEarth.com slash Allie. Uh, code relatable for 35% off cozyearth.com slash alley code relatable. And why do you think like, again, I just keep going back to the people who I know are not stupid. I know really love the Lord. Like, why do you think this is one thing, even beyond just scoring points, this is the thing that trips people up, black and white Christians alike. And it's almost like, you can't even really have a conversation with some of them. Like there's a debate going on right now as we're recording this about like the Florida curriculum saying that some slaves after they were freed benefited from some of the skills that they learned while enslaved. Does not say slavery was good. Doesn't say slavery was justified or anything like that. It notes that fact. And I'm seeing Christians, conservatives, just 
I, I mean, not just talk past each other and not even be able to get on the same page here. It's just really baffling to me how on this thing, it seems like we can't talk objectively, we can't talk truthfully, and we can't talk biblically. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it, to be honest with you. I don't have patience for it. It, 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 it. Listen, I have lived for the last eight years in Lusaka, Zambia. And I know for a fact that God used that horrible time and period of history to bring me to a place of blessing. Hmm. And I can acknowledge that. I have absolutely no shame in acknowledging that. Um, I'm able to be here and to be a blessing in large part because of God's providence in my life generationally that took me away from here, um, mainly because my black ancestors sold me, right? Um, and 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 I, I'm able to acknowledge that. And I, I think what we have to do is we've got to just stop, right? We've got to say enough. We've got to call people to account. And we've got to stop letting people make us feel guilty about things that we haven't done, about things that we've had no part in, about things that nobody we know had any part in. Enough already. Yeah. Yeah. I'm tired of it too. I'm tired. I thought that we kind of had moved past it after 2020, but that's why I'm thankful for this curriculum because this is something that people continue to get uh, confused about and just as you said, talk past each other without having the same definitions of things and the same perspective on things. Um, Session two of this curriculum talks about someone who was killed by the police. And you say that you remember where where you were or how you felt when you heard that this person was killed by the police and that this person wasn't receiving justice. But you're not talking about George Floyd. You're not talking about some of the other names that we hear. you know, paraded out by activists and by the media, you're talking about someone named Tony Tempa. Why do you bring up Tony Tempa's name in this curriculum? <laughs> I do bring it up. And several people have talked to me about that. And they say, you got me. Uh, because, you know, the way I, I, I tell the story, uh, it sounds like I'm talking about George Floyd. Right. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm actually talking about Tony Tempa, a man whose name most people don't know. Um, who was mm-hmm. killed by the police in a, in a way very similar um, to what happened to, to mm-hmm. George Floyd, um, but was actually much more sinister and vicious than, uh, than what happened to George Floyd. But of course, we don't know his name because Tony Temple's white. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the point that I make in the book and also uh, am able to make in a very different way uh, in the video curriculum that I hope sort of brings it home for people. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, yeah. you know, the, these every one of these instances that we talk about, um, I mean, you know, you you name it, Tamir Rice, George Floyd, you know, um, you, you, you name them. And I can point to uh, at least one and probably multiple uh, non-black people, multiple white people to whom the same thing has happened. 
Yeah. And people forget about that. And when you bring it up, a lot of people just don't, they don't know. They don't realize that. They kind of bought into the media narrative that this only happens to black people. I think of Justine Damon too. She was also in Minneapolis. She came out to talk to a policeman. She was, you know, just a, a, a young white woman uh, from Australia. She walked out to talk to the police officer in her pajamas about a report that she had just made. And the police officer who was a black police officer, shot her point blank, um, killed her, only got 12 years in prison, obviously obviously a lot less than what Derek Chauvin got. And most people, as you said, don't know the story of Tony Tempa. They don't know the story of Justine Damon. And in a lot of cases, they don't feel the same compassion. And they don't want to bring it up, I guess, scoring points out of fear, whatever. But at the end of the day, that's the kind of partiality that God says that he hates. Like, that's the kind of discrimination and justice that God abhors, right? Exactly. That that's unequal weights and measures. You know, when we have a narrative that we're committed to, when we have a a picture in our mind, um, and and when we are convinced of it, um, and we decide that anything to the contrary has to be dismissed. And anybody who brings up anything to the contrary uh, has to be dismissed. That That's not an honest discussion, which is ironic because I keep hearing, you know, we need to have a conversation about race, which, I mean, what what else have we been having a conversation about my whole yeah, lifetime, right? right? Um, and, and so you, you bring things like this up and all of a sudden it's like, well, well, not a conversation that includes that, um, you know? And so, I, again... Yeah. I, I'm I'm done with it. it. It's time to just tell the truth. It's time to have honest discussions with honest people um, and call out those who are not being honest. I'm curious, just your experience. You grew up in South Carolina, right? No, I grew up in Los no. Angeles. I did You're spend a year okay. in South Carolina. Okay, maybe, yeah. maybe uh, that's I, where when I, I got old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I got old enough to to find a little trouble in South Central Los Angeles, my mother shipped me out and I went and lived for a year with got it. her oldest brother, the, the retired drill, drill instructor in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Right. OK. I knew there was a South Carolina tie in there. So South Carolina, California, uh, growing up, you've talked about your story on a previous episode of this podcast that we can listen to if people want to hear about it. And as you said, you lived the last eight years in Zambia. I'm just curious, before I get into some other things in this curriculum, like, can you compare and contrast a little bit? Like, what is the perspective of oppression and justice and things like that from the people that you know in Zambia, actual Africans, from the conversation about race and oppression and history here in the United States and privilege and all of those things? I mean, it's it's got to be pretty different, I would guess. It's very different because this is a, a very homogeneous culture. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, being an American and not only an American, but a Houstonian, right? I, I spent most of my life in Houston. I was born in Los Angeles and um, ended up, you know, going to high school in Texas and, and college in Texas, spent my adult life in Texas. And and so most, most of my life in Houston before moving here. And a lot of people don't know this, but Houston is the most ethnically diverse city in America. Mm-hmm. And so going from the most ethnically diverse city in one of, if not the most ethnically diverse countries in the world to 
a place that is anything but diverse. Um, it was really quite shocking uh, mm-hmm. for me. And so those kind of discussions are very different. Now here, you hear more um, discussions about uh, globalism and, you know, uh, post-colonialism and, and those sorts of things. Hmm. Um, y- and you hear a lot more classical Marxism here as well, um, as opposed to the kind of, you know, neo-Marxist, some would say cultural Marxist ideologies that are being dealt with there. You hear a lot more sort of classical Marxism here um, holding sway with people. Um, there's a Fidel Castro street. Um, you see pictures of Che Guevara on the back of, you know, the, the, why the buses is that? here. I know this is kind of maybe <laughs> off topic, but, you know, that's strange. Where does that come from? Yeah. Especially when you know how, how racist against black people, for example, Che Guevara was. Um, you know, whenever people um, have experienced uh, any kind of any kind of real oppression, um, a lot of African countries, Zambia, for example, only got its independence from Great Britain in 1964. Whenever that happens, um, you know, Marxism sounds really good when you first sort of break free from something like that. Um, and the Marxists are always very quick to get their foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, places like Russia and, you know, other places like that are very quick to sort of get their foot in the door uh, in places like this. So, you know, there, I mean, there are a lot of reasons for it. Yeah. Um, a lot of the background here, a lot of sort of um, tribal and collectivist ideas as well um, that, find more Marxist ideologies, yeah. um, more similar. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of reasons for it, but it, it's here. All right, let me pause and tell you guys about an amazing sponsor, and that is Preborn. This is a pro-life ministry. They have a network of clinics across the country that offer moms free resources, particularly ultrasounds while she is pregnant. They know that when a woman sees her child in the womb through that sonogram, when they hear the child's heartbeat, they are far more likely to choose life for their baby. And so they want to partner with you. They want to partner with you in providing these sonograms for these women in crisis who are facing this decision. We want them to keep their babies and to protect these little lives. And so showing these women and the truth about the life that is growing inside of them can be absolutely a game changer. So if you go to preborn, preborn.com, you can go to preborn.com slash Allie and you can donate $28. That's how much it costs for them to do an ultrasound. So go to preborn.com slash Allie or you can just dial de- uh, pound 250, say the keyword baby or go to preborn.com slash Allie. Donate that $28 today. It can save a life. That's interesting. You know, I think about we have friends from Zimbabwe who um, became citizens a couple of years ago. And of course, she lived there under Robert Mugabe, who was I mean, he was a communist. And a lot of the things that he 
told the people of Zimbabwe are very similar to like the things we hear today that the white people here, you know, they stole your land. They're the reason you're poor. They're the reason that you're oppressed. And so we need to basically get rid of these white immigrants who are here and commercially farming. And so they did. They shut down a lot of the farms that were run by white people. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, that included violence. Uh, But the problem was, is that Zimbabwe went from the breadbasket of Africa and this very industrious place with a lot of commercial farming to almost no commercial farming and going even more deeply into poverty. Robert Mugabe, of course, using all the resources that he had to enrich himself and to not share it with the people at all. And yet he came into power promising that he is going to enact vengeance and justice on behalf of the indigenous Zimbabwean people and get the colonizers out and to give them health care and to, you know, get the indigenous people health care. I'm like, wow, that sounds like America. And now we see where Zimbabwe is. Tons and tons of oppression and corruption and poverty. The ideas always end the same way. They're our neighbors to the south. Yeah. You know, we live just to the north of Zimbabwe. And, you know, you're you're telling that story, and I'm sitting here thinking, two legs bad, four legs good. Mm, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Animal Farm. It's Animal Farm yeah. all over again. I tell people all the time, you know, the two most or the three most important books you could be reading right now are the Bible, Animal Farm in 1984, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're we're seeing those things. We we this movie, we this movie has played before, right? Um, we we know we know where this ends. Yeah. Totally. Another book that people need to read, and this is the title of one of the sessions, the session number, uh, well, I guess it's, uh, yeah, session number four, that discrimination or disparities do not equal, they don't automatically prove discrimination. Thomas Sowell wrote a book, Discrimination and Disparities, which I highly recommend people read. But this is also like a quick and easy way for people to get also what Thomas Sowell has said and what a lot of people have said. So what does this mean? That disparities don't equal discrimination? This blows people's mind. Yeah, it it really does. Um, and it shouldn't because there are disparities everywhere, hmm. right? Um, when we talk about equality, we're talking about people having equal value and equal worth and equal dignity before God. Um, and and in the U.S., for example, in the West, before the law as well. But we're not talking about people having equal gifts, talents, and abilities, and therefore expecting equal outcomes. Uh, there are disparities, and there are disparities everywhere. Um, there are disparities in um, achievements, academic achievements and economic achievements between firstborn children and secondborn children in the same family, in the same household. Um, So yeah, there are a lot of reasons for disparities. And there are a lot of disparities that we don't really care about. Uh, For example, uh, the NFL and the NBA are what, 65 and 75% black respectively. Um, That's a disparity but it's a disparity that we're okay with. Mm-hmm. So we don't we don't automatically say that that is the result of discrimination. But you know, we we need to recognize things like this that are obviously false if you just take a few seconds to think about them. 
Yeah. A lot of people I've realized don't want to take a few seconds to think about. Here's the uncomfortable thing. And I got into a conversation with a Christian, like a prominent Christian that everyone would know if I said their name about this a few years ago. And I brought this up that discrimination or disparities don't automatically mean discrimination. So people say that a lot. Oh, the graduation rate, the test score, whatever. There are disparities between black and white Americans that and that proves systemic racism and oppression and things like that. And when you say, well, it doesn't necessarily prove racism, there could be a variety of factors for that. And the same way that there are a variety of factors for the disparities between Asian Americans and white Americans, Asian Americans being on average wealthier, higher test scores and all that than white Americans. They will and say Nigerians, by the way. Yes. And Nigerian Americans. Yes. Tons of like not non-white Americans are doing yeah better overall than white Americans on average. But again, as you were saying, it's only the disparity between white Americans and black Americans that we're supposed to focus on and assume that it has to do with discrimination and racism. And then the question that I got, which then it gets into this kind of like emotional thing is, well, if it's not racism, if it's not the system, then you must be saying that there are like uh, innate vulnerabilities or innate incapabilities in black people that prevent them from being as successful as white people. So if it's not discrimination, you must just think that black people are inherently inferior. But to me, I mean, that's yeah. a false choice, right? There are a lot of factors yeah, that yeah, come into play. Yeah. Fallacy of the excluded middle, right? Mm. Uh, there are other possible answers. Uh, it doesn't have to be innate. Uh, in fact, in 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 most of these things, these disparities aren't necessarily innate. When you look at cultures, and this is something that people don't want to do, which is ironic, again, right? All this talk about cultures. We have to respect cultures. We can't appropriate cultures. We have to acknowledge cultures and so on and so forth. And then when you talk about the differences between cultures because of the way that cultures function and the things that cultures emphasize, now all of a sudden people don't want to have that discussion. Again, let's have that serious discussion about race. Okay, fine. Let's talk about these issues. No, not that serious discussion. Only the serious discussion that plays by the ground rules that says everything has to be explained by racism. Yep. Yep, it does. Because you, if you start talking about those uncomfortable things, then that is basically saying that black people have agency. And that's, I realize you're not allowed to say, you're not allowed to say that black people have agency, that they are individuals, just like the rest of us, that they have autonomy, that they have the ability to make choices. I realize like that is the blasphemous thing that you are never even allowed to imply in these conversations. That but, first, yeah, go but ahead. You, but, you, but you are not only allowed, but expected to imply them when you talk about athletes and entertainers. Hmm. When you talk about black athletes and entertainers, then people want to say, no, 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 we're the best because we work harder. The last thing they want you to say is that it's innate, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. We, 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 we work harder. We put in more time, you know, so on and so forth. Um, it, then it's okay to have those discussions. And it's ironic because all you have to do is just, just, just change the setting. And all of a sudden, the rules change as well. 
Okay, guys, we've got multiple pro-life sponsors on today's show, which I absolutely love. This sponsor is a pro-life diaper company. That's Every Life Diaper Company. They are awesome. They offer premium diapers for your babies, and they also support the pro-life cause. So their diapers are made without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And they also have something called a buy for a cause bundle. So if you purchase one of these buy for a cause bundles, they send them to a family in need that needs critical baby materials like diapers and wipes and things like that. So you can support a family in need that's chosen life for their baby. And plus, you can get awesome diapers for your family. So go to everylife.com. That's everylife.com. Use code ALLY10. You'll get 10% off your order. Stop supporting those progressive companies that are working against the things uh, that you and I believe in. Go to everylife.com. Use code ALLY10. Everylife.com. Code ALLY10. I really, really encourage people to get this curriculum, get this curriculum for your Bible study, for your entire church. This is a tough thing to talk about. And not everyone has the time to be equipped with all of this vocabulary and all of this stuff. And that's okay. That's why you've done this. But this needs to be something that people are on the same page about when it comes to their church. I've seen this divide churches really painfully. And so let's just look at what the Bible, what history, what facts have to say about it. And that's what this curriculum does. So before I talk to you about the last thing, let me be the the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's mean old Vody Bauckham. You don't have to take responsibility for it. So where can people, um, where can people get it? Salem now. Yeah, okay. go to salemnow.org uh, and you can find it there. Watch.salemnow.com. We'll link it in the description of this episode so people can get it easily. Highly encourage everyone to get it. And then I do want to talk to you about the new, kind of new, book uh, that's coming out September 26th, The Ever-Loving Truth, Can Faith Survive in a Post-Christian Culture? So this originally came out in twenty or uh, 2004, coming out again. So why are we uh why is it being republished yeah it's almost 20 years later and it's amazing how many of these things are still with us yeah and how many of these things uh have just uh, sort of grown up and and manifested themselves in ways that we never could have imagined uh back then this was my first book actually Hmm. um and so it's kind of a mix of classical apologetics and cultural apologetics um, you know, I deal, for example, with with uh, questions like, you know, why I choose to believe the Bible, um, as well as some of these sort of broader cultural issues. Um, back then in 2004, I was mainly talking about secular humanism. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, we're still dealing with secular humanism in many ways, but now it's more neo-Marxism, um, but making some of the same kinds of arguments from different angles. Um, and so that's why the decision was made to um, update and 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 re-release this book. And I, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, you know, it is crazy how many of these apologetics defending your faith questions are just kind of, I, I mean, they're resounding throughout history, going all the way back to the Church Fathers, but then you even look at C.S. Lewis and then your book and 2004 and how they just kind of become repackaged with whatever cultural moment that we're in. 
um, we keep yeah. on coming up to the same kind of obstacles and we do need people to be equipped to address them so they can get that or we'll be able to get that wherever books are sold. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Perfect. Of course. Well, <laughs> I, I almost said something there. Yes. Wherever books are sold. Okay. Although sometimes my book, sometimes my books are not sold wherever books are sold. Um, yeah. Sometimes you have to, you have to go search and ask, uh, for for my books, they're kind of hidden in the back of some hmm, places. I can't imagine why. I'm sure it's just I'm sure it's just a coincidence. And yet, Fault Lines incredibly popular. This book incredibly popular. I know that the curriculum will be too. People are like starving for clarity, and that's what these books offer. So thank you so much for being a refuge of clarity for so many people who just don't want to deal with it or don't know how. All right, uh, Dr. Bacham, where can people follow you? Find you all that good stuff. Uh, Vodibacham.org is the place that I can be found. So it's V-O-D-D-I-E-B-A-U-C-H-A-M dot O-R-G. And you've written lots of books and have a lot of work out there, a lot of sermons out there. So if people want to find those, they can go to Vodibacham.org and find them all. Thank you so much, Dr. Bacham, for taking the time to come on. Absolutely. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks. You too. Okay, let me tell y'all about this awesome cereal company. It's called Magic Spoon. This is high protein, low sugar, great tasting cereal that we absolutely love in our home. I needed to satiate my sweet tooth, especially uh, while pregnant. And so this is like my late night snack. Mix it with some peanut butter. It is so good. And I feel good knowing that it's really high in protein. It's actually filling. It's not just empty calories. Uh, there's a variety pack that you can get four flavors. They're cocoa, so good with peanut butter and banana. Uh, fruity, frosted, also another one of my favorites. And peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, four to five net grams of carbs, only 140 calories per serving. That's amazing. So high protein, zero grams of sugar. It's sweetened with monk fruit. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free. I really love this stuff. We eat so much Magic Spoon in our home. You'll love it too and you'll feel good knowing that it's actually filling you up with good protein. So you can go to magicspoon.com slash relatable, grab a variety pack today. You'll save $5 on your order. That's magicspoon.com slash relatable. Use code relatable for $5 off. Magicspoon.com slash relatable, code relatable at checkout. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, right now, I'm going to play a little clip from the promo of the curriculum, about two minutes of this promo, just so you uh, get a sense for what this curriculum will be. So here's that. The Bible is very clear about the issue of justice. What does the Lord require of you to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? We know this from Micah 6.8. And so justice is not optional for the people of God. That's why it's so critical that we understand what justice is. One of the dangers of the social justice movement is that it uses terminology that on the surface sounds like it ought to be what we as Christians are about. 
social justice. Am I against justice? Of course not. I'm for justice. Anti-racism. Am I pro-racism? Of course not. So what we need to do is get behind these terms, get behind these words and look at two things. Number one, look at what people mean when they use them in this cultural moment. And number two, evaluate that in light of what the Bible says about the same issues. So for example, when we talk about justice from a biblical perspective, justice means the righteous application, the impartial application of the law of God in a given given circumstance. Uh, we're told that we're not to be impartial to the poor or to the rich. We have to apply God's law equally across the board. Social justice means something very different. And so if we're going to have conversations about justice, if we're going to have conversations about contemporary issues of our day, we're going to have to do so in light of what the Word of God has to teach about all of these issues and while evaluating the cultural moment. Thanks, y'all, so much for listening. I really appreciate it. We will be back soon with more. 